Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is looking at our top 10 Western Conference small forwards. So, Jalen, who are your top 10 Western Conference small forwards? All right, so at number 10, I have Tim Hardaway of the Dallas Mavericks. At number nine, I have DeMar DeRozan of the San Antonio Spurs. At number eight, I have Harrison Barnes of the Sacramento Kings. At number seven, I have Joe Ingles of the Utah Jazz. At number six, I have Kelly Oubre now of the Golden State Warriors. At number five, I have Michael Porter Jr. of the Denver Nuggets. At number four, I have Carmelo Anthony of the Portland Trailblazers. At number three, I have Brandon Ingram of the New Orleans Pelicans. At number two, I have Kawhi Leonard of the Los Angeles Clippers. And at number one, I have LeBron James of the Los Angeles Lakers. So for my list, number 10, Mikel Bridges of the Phoenix Suns. Number nine, Tim Hardaway Jr. of the Dallas Mavericks. Number eight, Michael Porter Jr. of the Denver Nuggets. Number seven, Carmelo Anthony of the Portland Trailblazers. Number six, Kelly Oubre of the Golden State Warriors. Number five, Bojan Bogdanovic of the Utah Jazz. Number four, DeMar DeRozan of the San Antonio Spurs. Number three, Brandon Ingram of the New Orleans Pelicans. Number two, Kawhi Leonard of the Los Angeles Clippers. And number one, LeBron James of the Los Angeles Lakers. So there's a lot of different routes that we can go there with that. First, I think the first thing I want to kind of address, because I had a little bit of a hard time touching on this beforehand, and I kind of want to see where you stand on it, because we went in two different directions with this one, was you had Bojan Bogdanovic as your small forward on this list, and I had Joe Ingles as a starting small forward on mine. Um Kind of just as an understanding for the audience, where do you stand on Utah's lineup in terms of those two guys in particular? Do you think that Joe is more of a guy who's going to end up coming off the bench for them and Bojan's going to start? Or do you think that they're going to have a lineup where Joe Ingles is at the three and Bojan is at the four? Because my only other assumption would be that Royce O'Neal would be playing the four, but he fits more as a three. So I would assume that Joe Ingles would get a lot more time to be another ball handler on the court. So, like, where do you stand on Utah's lineup to start? So I think Joe Ingles will most likely come off the bench. I think it's going to give Utah another option on the floor outside of Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. Royce O'Neal will most likely be playing the four. But just looking at Bojan Bogdanovic and how much of an asset he is on the court, because when he's healthy, he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. We saw it with Brooklyn. We saw it with the Wizards. We saw it with the Indiana Pacers. And we saw it in the 63 games he played with the Utah Jazz, where he averaged 20 points a game, and he shot 44% from the field and 41% from three. So it's great to have a guy like Bojan on your team. I think in any case, Joe Ingles will most likely either play the two or the three, I think there's a chance that he's able to get some minutes at the two in a lineup with the Utah Jazz. I just think that right now with Bojan Bogdanovic healthy, I think he is coming off the bench. 
So, I mean, I think there's a little bit of a middle ground there. I personally had Bojan uh, slighted as power forward. Um, you'll hear this as the audience. You'll hear this on the next list. His name will come up. Um, I had him slighted at power forward. That's just because that's where he fits best to me on this team. Um, they're a small ball lineup kind of team, despite the fact that, I mean, relatively everybody on their roster except for, or in terms of their starting lineup, except for Mike Conley is somewhere between like six, three and up. Um, Mike Conley is where it kind of falls within like a just barely six, three kind of move. I think that Bojan fits very well at that small ball four. Um, I think that he played relatively well in that position when he was in Indiana too. Like that was something to take into consideration as well. So I don't necessarily hate the sliding of him being there. I just do think that the starting lineup of Utah needs as much shooting as productively possible. Um, And that's part of the reason why I don't necessarily think Royce O'Neal would start over a guy like Joe Ingles. But you could also argue that the second unit of the Utah Jazz needs more ball handling, which Joe Ingles would provide. So that's kind of why I wanted to touch on that just out of the fact that we definitely had different views for what Utah is going to do. But I don't think it necessarily is so drastic that it feels um, unnecessary. Uh, Ryan, who's the next player or next um ranking on this list that you kind of want to address in terms of either where I put somebody on my list, where you put somebody on your list, or just a player you want to talk about on our list in general. So let's talk about DeMar DeRozan because I had him listed at number four. You had him listed at number nine. DeMar DeRozan is averaging 22 points a game, 53% from the field, close to five and a half rebounds, close to five and a half assists a game. He's one of the best small forwards in the league. And given what he's accomplished in Toronto and being able to lead this team in uh, San Antonio to the playoffs in his first season, I think it should be noted. And I mean, his ability to shoot in the mid range, that's another aspect of this game that is highly talked about given that DeMar DeRozan really thrives in the mid range. So Jalen, I'm intrigued to know why you have him at number nine. So this may or may not be really fair, but there was two things that I took into consideration. It's kind of interesting out of the fact that, you know, obviously I have Tim Hardaway Jr. beneath him. And um, another guy who's in my honorable mentions was Mikael Bridges. But um, the first knock was the inability to shoot the three. Um, It's one of those things that we kind of knocked Ben Simmons for. And although I put Ben Simmons at number one um, in my point guard rankings for the Eastern Conference, in spite of the fact that he couldn't shoot the three or refused to shoot the three ball, Ben Simmons does everything else within the game of basketball relatively well. You can't say the same thing about DeMar DeRozan, which in a game that's transitioning towards the three ball, if you're not going to shoot the three, you have to be an overall well-rounded player outside of that. And we've never really seen DeMar DeRozan as some kind of defensive stopper, and he lives in the mid-range, which is not um, the most efficient uh, offensive you know, set of, uh, set of skills in the NBA anymore. The second thing to take in consideration, I think I'm actually going to play off what your second point was early on about what he did in Toronto. And I'm going to transfer that over to what's going on in terms of the Western Conference. Part of what also hurt him in terms of this list for me is the fact that I don't think DeMar DeRozan is a true three. Like, I think that he's just being been put in a position with the fact that you look at San Antonio and you see how many young guards they have across their lineup. I mean, Lonnie Walker, DeJounte Murray, um, they still have Kyle Anderson. Um, 
they're in a position right now where they they're pretty log jammed at that spot. They even had Patty Patty Mills for a minute, um, or they've had Patty Mills for a minute. So it's one of those things where Demar Derozan is being slighted out of position simply out of the construct of the team right now. And although that shouldn't necessarily hurt his own individual rankings, if we're talking about where he ranks as a small forward, he's playing out of position, which in turn kind of hurts his overall, you know, stance in the Western Conference at his own position. So those are really the two things that kind of stood out to me. He is still an overall all-star caliber player, um, especially in the right position. Um, He's not the kind of player that I think is going to help San Antonio get into the playoffs this year, which is really unfortunate because we saw the streak snapped. And now I don't think it's going to be something that they're going to be able to get back into for a little while because of how young their team is and how strong the Western Conference is getting around them. But yeah, I mean, between his effect on winning and his overall out of position um, stance in the Western Conference on the roster he's in right now, I just think it's kind of hard to say he's, a top five, even top six small forward when he really doesn't play small forward. Well, that's something that also needs to be taken into consideration because in Toronto, he was the starting shooting guard right next to Kyle Lowry. So I do think that you have a point there. And it's interesting that they decided to make DeMar DeRozan a small forward in San Antonio, given what the the backcourt situation is like in uh, San Antonio with two young guards and Derek White and Deontay Murray. I still think DeMar DeRozan is a top five small forward in the league. I could also argue that he's maybe a top five shooting guard in, the, in a loaded Western Conference. But I think with DeMar DeRozan, you're right, he does struggle beyond the arc. He only averaged or he only shot 25% from three. And the year prior, he shot 15% from three. So that's something that he struggled with throughout his career. But I would argue if he averages 22-5 and five a game, I think that's acceptable for me in terms of scoring as a small forward because if you're able to put up 22 points a game, you're providing some sort of contribution for your team, even though, yes, you mentioned that the Spurs will most likely not be good enough this year to make the playoffs. But having a guy like DeMar DeRozan with the veteran leadership that he provides to a young Spurs team is very beneficial. I think my follow-up to that would be, I'm going to ask you a question, and then I think that'll kind of either debunk or further help the point that I was going to make. So my question to you would be, when we did our shooting guard rankings, do you remember where you put Andrew Wiggins at? I put Andrew Wiggins at number nine. So where I put DeMar DeRozan was number nine. And I think the thing about that is they're both consistent in terms of that aspect of it. 22 and five sounds about right. I mean, between both of them, that literally sounds about what they would give you on a nightly basis. But does it affect winning? Not necessarily. Are they in a position where they really are true, truly putting an impact on the game on the, while on the floor? Not really. Are they a net negative on the defensive side of the ball? To a certain extent, I would say that Andrew Wiggins, we haven't seen him within the Warriors defensive scheme at its full potential yet because of the fact that they were pretty unhealthy last year. So still to be determined. But in terms of what we've already seen from Andrew Wiggins, not necessarily anything on the um, positive to rave about on the defensive end besides his measurables. 
Um, you could say similar things about DeMar DeRozan. I just genuinely see DeMar DeRozan and Andrew Wiggins as very similar players in terms of being very consistent on the offensive end, being really athletic. I jump out the gym kind of guys who can give you a couple spectacular plays here and there, even some spectacular performances, but not really be someone that you can lean on as a top one or two scorer on your team and it lifts you into a winning situation. So uh, I think that kind of hurts things a little bit. Um, one could argue against that by using the point that I decided to make Carmelo Anthony a top four small forward on this list. Um, I'll actually transition there. Um, going from what I just said about DeMar DeRozan to Carmelo Anthony, I put him at four out of the fact that Carmelo Anthony came up big in big moments last season, specifically in the playing games for the bubble. That's where we saw it the most. Um, you saw him embrace the spot-up three-point shooter role, which was something that, like, you kind of just never figured Carmelo would be able to do or willing to do. Um, he also was kind of trashed for, like, his lack of defensive intensity, which is, like, super crazy because, like, most of the time in the bubble specifically, he was a guy who came up with a very clutch stop. So I don't think he's a guy who's going to sit in the chair for 48 minutes and guard your best player or anything like that but he wasn't even doing that back when he was in Denver he was a buckets and boards guy he's with double springs he was a guy who would go after the go after the rebounds and put him back in he's a guy who has a really good in-between game that can shoot the three when given space and I think with Damian Lillard with CJ McCollum with Robert Covington now who we'll end up talking about hopefully in the power forward um section as well I think he's in a really good situation right now um where he can just simply be a clutch player. He can simply be a guy that you finish games with in the fourth quarter. And I think that'll be really huge for Portland because they're a team that's on the rise with what they've done in this offseason. Um, getting guys like Rodney Hood back, who I think you could argue might even start over Carmelo Anthony, but I think it'll be dependent on how healthy Rodney Hood is coming back. Um, getting guys like Harry Giles, Derek Jones Jr. Like they had a really great offseason and bringing Carmelo back is huge. But um, where do you stand or Carmelo Anthony, do you even think he starts on this team? Do you think he's a guy who's going to play big minutes? Like, what do you see as the role for Carmelo Anthony coming into this year, considering what Portland has on the table? I think he's going to have, I'm going to say, a slightly larger role. Given what Carmelo Anthony was able to do last year, basically proving to the NBA that he's back, I think what we saw from Carmelo Anthony is showing us that he can still play. He had a couple clutch moments in the bubble. He's been able to knock down big shots when called upon. I think he's, a, he's another asset to a Portland Trailblazers team that's loaded with great shooters, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum being two of them. And then you also, add, you also add in defense in terms of Robert Covington, one of the best defenders in the league. That's huge for a Portland team that's trying to make, that's trying to make a run to the Western Conference Finals. So I think Carmelo Anthony's role, I think, could be significantly larger just because of the fact that he's proven himself time and time again in the NBA. Now, whether or not he's starting or he's coming off the bench, he's going to provide you a lot of scoring in the minutes that he plays in. I just think that it depends, like you said, when he comes off the bench, if he's coming off the bench or if he starts. I think he starts for this team because I think that he's much better as a starting small forward for the team rather than him coming off the bench. And I think that he's an asset to have 
on this Portland Trailblazers team that, like I said earlier, could end up walking out of the Western Conference as the one seed. Yeah, I mean, they're extremely dangerous, and I think Carmelo has a lot to do with that. I think his last season was kind of underrated outside of the spec, despite the fact that I feel like people were shocked by what took place. Um, I think people need to understand that, like, Carmelo Anthony was not necessarily the problem in Houston. I think that he literally started slow, and right as he was starting to gain his footing, he got the short end of the stick. And I think a similar circumstance happened in Oklahoma City. I felt like they gave him kind of a chance to kind of redeem himself, but not long enough to truly be a part of a core that had Paul Paul George and Russell Westbrook as the two lead guys. So I think that in Portland, they put him in a position where they embrace that he is a top level small forward in the league, not only just like within this year, but historically. And then I think in terms of just taking advantage of his like his skill set, I think Terry Stotts, the coach over there, really has put him in a position where he doesn't necessarily have to be a spot-up three-point shooter the way other teams have tried to force him to be, but he's put in more of a comfortable role where when he needs to do that, he's able to do it and do it effectively. So I think that's huge. Um, okay, that was my second person um, to discuss. So who's this, uh, the second person on your list that you would like to take a look at? Let's talk about Tim Hardaway Jr. Because for most of his career, he's been known as a, as a shooting guard. This year, he is listed as a small forward. He's playing the small forward role. That's mainly because of the acquisition of Josh Richardson. That he mm-hmm. is taking over the shooting guard position. So Tim Hardaway Jr. is taking over the taking over the small forward position. Not a lot of people talk about him because he averages 15 a game. He's, he's another underrated three-point shooter. I know last year wasn't his best season statistically, but I still think that he's maybe an underrated small forward given his ability to shoot in the mid range, given his ability to shoot on the perimeter. Jalen, where do you stand on Tim Hardaway Jr.? I mean, I had him at 10 for the same reasons that I feel like you, you said in terms of his overall like offensive game. Now, defensively, that's where things come into question a bit, but I think Dallas's defense overall is not really the most spectacular, but Luka Doncic did lead probably the most dynamic offense in NBA history statistically last season. So Tim Hardaway had a lot to do with that, but I'll say this though. This is another reason why he got slotted at 10, despite his offensive repertoire. I think that him being at small forward, similar to DeMar DeRozan is the part that kind of puts a knock on him because he's not a true three. You know what I mean? If we were doing a shooting guard rankings right now and maybe DeMar DeRozan and Tim Hardaway were in the mix of this, um, I could argue that as overall players, they're probably a smidge better than a guy like Joe Ingles. Maybe, maybe not, not necessarily, but as at least as overall scoring threats, I would say they're a bit better. I would say as a ball handler, I would still trust Joe Ingles to make decisions, you know, shoot the three at a higher clip, different things like that. You could argue that there's a tie somewhere between those two and Kelly Oubre as overall players. Kelly Oubre is a bit younger as to come on a bit stronger. I put him at six um, in terms of my rankings for this. DeMar DeRozan and Tim Hardaway are nine and 10. You could easily say that from a talent standpoint, they're within a six to seven range um, talent wise in comparison to some of the guys ahead of them. You could even argue that both of them are ahead of Harrison Barnes. If we're talking about overall, you know, ability, but because these are two guys who are playing out of position, it's one of those things that puts them in a really weird spot because of the fact that 
we don't really know necessarily how they're going to produce at a high level when they're not playing in the spot they're used to playing in. DeMar DeRozan, we've seen it for about a season or two. And although he is, you know, like you said, 22 and five, he's just a consistent offensive scorer, but he doesn't really put his stamp on the game. And Tim Hardaway is a guy who's really effective overall as an offensive player, but doesn't really give you anything, anything defensively. And look at some of the names that we have to name ahead of schedule, um, ahead of schedule or ahead of him that he would have to face up against in just the Western Conference alone um, on the defensive side of the ball. LeBron James, potentially. Kawhi Leonard, potentially. Brandon Ingram, Carmelo Anthony, Michael Porter Jr. Like, these are guys who defensively, Tim Hardaway doesn't really match up well with. So he's put in a disadvantage amongst some of his peers within this position specifically because this isn't really a situation where you would expect him to be slotted there. But like you said, the Josh Richardson acquisition, which was a good one, has moved him down um, down the, the depth chart a bit in terms of making it where if you want him to be a starter, he has to play the three. And that puts him in a little bit of a rough position. Well, I think Tim Hardaway Jr., for all the reasons that you mentioned, him being slotted as a small forward is going to be interesting to see. But it also could be a challenge. Like you mentioned, the challenges are defensively he's going to have to go up against LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard and Brandon Ingram. It's just a matter now of how he holds up against them. Does he hold his own against some of the great small forwards? And that's the main question. Offensively, I don't think there's any questions about his his game, um, especially in the mid-range and in the perimeter. Pretty much what he's known for is just shooting the three ball and just being able to give a team 15 a game. So, like I said, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Tim Hardaway, how Tim Hardaway plays as a small forward, considering that most of his career he was a shooting guard. Jalen, to go on now to the third most notable thing about this list, because I think putting Harrison Barnes on this list, it's very interesting. So I'm intrigued to know why you have Harrison Barnes on your list. So to be honest, it's just out of the fact that. A, he is a true three. Uh, B, he has the kind of measurables to have an upside as a D, as a uh, defensive wing stopper. I wouldn't say he's going to be like Robert Covington level, but I think he's a guy who, um, a guy just barely above him, Kelly Oubre. I think he has the kind of offensive skill set that's a bit better than Kelly Oubre, but the defensive skill set that's a bit below what Kelly is, and that's kind of what moved him to um, to eight instead of being above Kelly, because just personally, I, I take a little bit more pride um, in terms of what you do on the defensive end of the uh, the court, especially because of the fact that now in the NBA playing defense is so much more difficult than it's ever been because of team defenses, uh, overall one-on-one defense being a lot more difficult without fouling, different stuff like that. So being able to be a, a true one-on-one defender, I, I have to give the nod to Kelly Oubre. But Harrison Barnes is, I mean, he's a consistent bucket. I think if we're talking about DeMar DeRozan as somebody who's arguably in the top five um, as small forward in in the Western Conference, I think that you could easily argue that Harrison Barnes is somebody who's been relatively consistent as a scoring threat over the last couple of years with Sacramento. And maybe is that the 40 mil, is that the 40 mil a year talking? (laughs) Maybe. I mean, it was definitely a signing that was a little outlandish for the Sacramento. And you could tell they kind of had to throw some money at somebody when the time came. But 
I still think that they're in a position right now with Harrison Barnes where he can be the lead small forward for him. It's just the circumstances. He's another guy kind of similar to when we had our conversation about Bogdan, and I kind of joked about how I think I goofed with leaving him off the list, and you would argue that he was somewhere as top, as high as top four, top five in, uh, as shooting guard in Atlanta. And my thought process on it was, like, I, I definitely remember him as a talent, but part of what made me forget about him in terms of where to put where I would actually slot him on the list and I ended up slotting him at about seven, was just the fact that he played on the Sacramento Kings team that has no identity. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the one thing that hurts him a lot. You know that they have building blocks like De'Aaron Fox. I think we're going to see, um, interestingly enough, a really good year from Marvin Bagley the third um this year especially with harry giles moving on to uh, portland i think they're going to put a lot more emphasis on really trying to develop marvin bagley which he desperately needs because in the first two years i mean luke walton has been very reluctant to really give him any kind of burn and i think it's actually hurting his production and i think we saw the same thing in la with a lot of the lakers guys who went on to other teams without luke and have kind of blossomed a bit so i think it's another one of those things where i think his overall ability is being held down and you could say the same thing about Harrison Barnes to a certain extent. I think he's a guy who could probably come up a little bit more on the defensive end in a, in a proper scheme next to two speedy guys like um, De'Aaron Fox and um, Tyrese Halliburton. I think he could come up big as a consistent three-point shooter, as a guy next to Buddy Heald, who is very efficient from the three-point line. So I think Harrison Barnes is a bit better of a player than people give credit. I think it's kind of in a similar ilk that Tim Hardaway is, except I gave Harrison Barnes the nod because he's a true three. Well, I think you do have a case with it being the coach because in his three years in Dallas, uh, he averaged 19 points a game and five rebounds. He averaged 18 points a game and six rebounds, and he averaged 17 points a game and four rebounds. In all three of those years, he shot over 40% from the field and over 35% from three in all three of these years. So, yes, I actually agree with your argument that it is the coach because in his past two years, his numbers in terms of scoring have dipped slightly as he's averaging close to 14 a game, but he's still a consistent mid-range and three-point shooter. So... I think maybe it is the offensive scheme. I think maybe it is the coaching. Maybe he thrives better in the Dallas offense. But it's interesting to see how Harrison Barnes, like I mentioned with Tim Hardaway, how he will continue to match up against guys like LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Brendan Ingram. Yeah, and I mean, that's the biggest thing with Harrison Barnes is just the fact that I feel like he was in a position. I think with Golden State, that was his freest ability to play as a third, fourth scoring option on the team. And kind of just thrive as a 12 to 15 point per game scorer within the flow of an offense that leaned on a lot of other guys and heavy shooting clips from three. And then I think in Dallas, things got unlocked a bit, especially out of the fact that, you know, he didn't really have, he didn't have a Luca when he was in Dallas. So in terms of having guys who could help shot create and create for others, he didn't really have anybody of that ilk. He was still relying on guys like JJ Barea to create heavily, which we, we both agree is not the best guy to have as a lead point guard in the NBA, especially nowadays, even if it was about two, three seasons ago that this took place. And I think in Sacramento, he's getting the short end of the stick because one, he's kind of, I mean, he's he's out in the cut in terms of the California teams right now with the Kings probably being easily the fourth best team in that in that region 
uh, let alone anywhere where you would want to rank them in the conference as somebody who would, you probably still wouldn't pencil in as a potential playoff team, even with some of the moves that they made in the draft. So I think that Harrison Barnes is a good overall player. I just think that Luke Walton has a track history of stunting growth. We've seen it with a handful of players now, D'Angelo Russell, um, uh, Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. Like once you start lab- labeling people and, and naming naming the list off and letting it go, you come to realize when you take a look at where some of these guys are talent wise in other um in other areas. I mean, Julius Randle became a twenty point per game scorer the minute he went to New Orleans and is doing similar things in in uh, the New York system despite not really having an offensive system over there when he had um when he uh, when he had the coaching that he was receiving um then. Um, Brandon Ingram just became an all-star. It's, you know, first real season with New Orleans. Lonzo Ball is a guy who you could argue is still kind of trying to figure himself out, but he's still such a plus defender, an all-NBA level defender to the point that you can argue that he's if he just becomes more, you know, aggressive on the offensive side of the ball, he could be easily a top five, top 10 point guard in, in the Western Conference. So, and D'Angelo Russell is another guy who we saw become an all-star in Brooklyn, albeit maybe it was just circumstances of the East being weaker at the time, but he still was a all-star caliber point guard in Brooklyn and was able to get a payday moving on towards Minnesota. So with all of that, like I said, with a track history like that, Luke Walton's not really doing anybody any favors. And unfortunately, I think De'Aaron Fox is another guy who falls into that, that ilk of guys who you feel like has very high upside but is getting stunted by the kind of coaching that he's getting. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who do you believe is the best small forward in the Western Conference? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get our podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.